Hello, and welcome back to Nomads, you and I. Today, Mark, we are going to tackle Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Mm -hmm. First, Mark, let's talk about a hike that we've taken in the past. So one of my most significant places to hike for me, and I don't even know why this happened, but Saddle Mountain. Which is uh, on the way from Portland to Seaside, Oregon, oh, 14 miles or so from Cannon Beach on the Sunset Highway, I think the highest point yeah. maybe in the, at least that part of the Oregon Coast Range. Yeah, so we like to do that. It can be a really technical hike, right? Yeah, there's a, at least last time I did it, there was some definite scrambling in places. So how many times have you and I done this hike that you can recall? Well, I think we've done it twice together, and then you've done it at least one other time, like in February, end of February, with uh, Stephanie. Yeah, my friend Stephanie Merrill. So yeah, that was the beginning of, it was kind of a transition in my life of sorts. And so that's whenever I have what I consider to be a huge transition in my life, I go and hike Saddle Mountain. And I'm just putting that out there because I think maybe other people, um, maybe when you're hiking too, the strenuous nature of a hike and that you're going uphill and you're sweating and man, you better bring your water and can I make it and will I make it? I mean, it's so symbolic of a lot of the challenges that we face in life. And so I love on a steep climb getting really introspective. It's a little bit like your life, I think. Um, th there, there are parts of any hike that are easier than others. You might start out smooth, and then there's this sudden elevation. It's like, here come the twisty, twisty switchbacks. And near the summit, maybe a little bit like the Christian life, certainly we are to finish strong, but you may be crawling. You may be crawling. Yeah. On, you may be crawling on your hands and knees. You're going to make it. Here he comes. But right now he's on his hands and knees for that last 50 feet. And the last time I hiked it, Mark, Steffi and I did not realize there was ice at the top. We did not calculate this in, but we ended up meeting a stranger at the top and ended up praying with her and she poured her heart out to us and we taught her the gospel all the way back down the mountain and I handed her at the end of it material that related exactly to her situation that I happened to have in the car. So it seemed very, very providential. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's dig in then to beginning at chapter three, verse 17. Correct. And so let's read that, that particular verse. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. First thing, Cindy, it's interesting that Paul believes we can follow his example. I mean, he was an exceptional Christian, and yet never does Paul say, well, you can't follow my example. Rather, it's imitate me as I imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, you can do this too. Remember, I'm the chief of sinners, and I'm doing this, so you can. If we say, well, what is this pattern? What is this same pattern that we're supposed to follow? As we go back through the book, I think we will pick it up in a number of places. Well, the pattern would be chapter 2, be like Jesus, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is, don't just look out for your own personal interests. Look out for the interests of others. Also, in this particular chapter, I think part of the pattern also has been forget what lies behind. Don't rest on your laurels. Uh, you've been forgiven, so don't dwell on past sins that you've repented of. Move forward and press on. 
and seek to become all that God wants you to be in Christ Jesus. And don't ever be under this illusion that, well, I've arrived, and so I can kind of take it easy now. Uh, that, that would be part of the pattern. Yes, and I love that when he says, following my example, it just really caused me to have reflection inside, like, I want to aim to be a good enough of an example that I'm followable, so to speak, you know? We should all shoot for that. Is your example followable? Well, you might call this Mark the Faithful, and it's, Paul does not say, hey, I'm the only one doing this. He says, follow my example and all the others that are following this same pattern. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, Bible often puts things in two categories, Broadway, narrow way, Matthew 7, heaven, hell, light, darkness, lost, saved, in the church or you're in the world. And so there are basically two patterns out there. Two Of all the choices out there, there are two basic patterns. One pattern is you follow God, you obey God. The other pattern is you don't. Those are the two patterns Mm -hmm. in, and they've always been there from Cain and Abel. Those two patterns have always been present. Yes. And by paying attention to those who are walking according to God's specific instructions, Mark, we see how the fruits of the Spirit can play out in many circumstances. So, I mean, the Bible tells us what to do, and it gives us examples of people doing things to obtain the favor of God. But as we watch each other's walk, especially the ones that are according to God's pattern, it's like, oh, now I see what that looks like in action. Then he quickly transitions to, for many walk. Like they live. Yeah, oh, whom I often told you, so he's talked about this before frequently with them. And now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And, and that is such a, man, that is a sad, sad verse, because basically here we go back to the unfaithful. And, well, we saw that at the beginning of chapter 3. There's the unfaithful there. There's mm-hmm. the rebellious. Yeah. We saw, you might say, with people that were preaching the gospel from wrong motives, they were in danger. They were certainly in danger of moving in that direction. That's not a safe place to be, because motive does matter. And so it's interesting that the individuals who opposed the cross, who would say, like, you don't need Jesus, you can be fine without him, they're enemies of the cross of Christ, and that broke Paul's heart that there were people like that out there. Yeah, I'm amazed at what's breaking Paul's heart, because to me, again, it's another opportunity of reflection. Do I weep more at not getting my own way, or do I weep at the kind of things that break God's heart? Because those are the most tear-worthy. Good observation. What broke Paul's heart and what uh, Jesus wept over, you might say, was, was not the things that a lot of people complain about. It was rather the lost. Yeah. The fate of the lost. Yes, because he says that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. I mean, is there any more dire strait than that? And you can be, you might say, an unconscious enemy of the cross. I mean, by not supporting Christ, by not following him, Mm -hmm. by giving people the impression, you know, life is fine and not being a Christian. uh, In fact, Jesus would say... He didn't say that those who are against me are against me. He said, if you're not for him, you're against him. Mm -hmm. And we don't want that for anyone. I mean, because it says whose end is destruction. And this destruction is not like a one-time thing. It's throughout eternity. And we don't want that for anyone. 
their end is certain as well. It's not a mystery. It's not that, well, God could change his mind on this. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that the person that would say, Lord, Lord, but doesn't do what Jesus said, at the judgment, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. And that said the very religious people uh-huh. as well, people that were kind of making their own rules up. They were making their own churches up, etc. They're making kind of their own version of Christianity up, and they're rejected at the end. Yeah, and a lot of this destruction, I mean, sometimes a person can, will go from prosperity to their eternal destruction. Other times, this destruction starts to take effect even while we live and we're reaping the consequences of sowing darkness, you know? Yeah, I think there's a couple passages I think of where people outside of Christ are spoken of growing corrupt or where you grow calloused Yeah, or you're just becoming worse and worse. Ephesians 4, probably 19 would be a good example mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Well, then it says, interesting statement, whose God is their appetite. I think some other translation says God is their belly. Okay. And I think appetite here is probably a really good word. And it's what do they serve? What do they put before everything else? Making because, big sacrifices for. Because that, that's your God. Well, it's their gratification. It's their desires. Mm-hmm. There's a litmus test for you. What do you think about the most? What do you think about the most? What are you willing to move heaven and earth to get done? And so no wonder Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, because those are the people that truly, I mean, God is the chief object of their desire. Mm -hmm. Uh, We exist to love and serve God, not to fulfill whatever the body feels like at any given moment, because the body is a tyrant. Yeah, I think you see that in a number of areas, particularly addiction, Mm -hmm. uh, where people are willing to forego cleanliness and comfort, whatever, just for a high. Yeah. They're willing to live on the street and not take a bath just for a high. That's all they care about. Mm -hmm. Life has come down to that point. It's interesting here. What they feel like doing takes precedence over everything, mm-hmm. over everything else. And you're right. There's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about the eyes of man are never satisfied. Mm-hmm. So be careful about thinking that um, this material object or material things will make me happy. Money will make me happy, whatever it is. Because, attention, attention, likes, yeah, yeah, thumbs up and all of that. And Mm -hmm. all you're doing is creating a monster that just needs more and more and more to be fed. And the thing is, it will never be full. So what do you make of the next phrase? And whose glory is in their shame? Well, your glory would be what you boast about. Your glory would be what you're proud of. And your shame would be your sins. Right. People who are proud of their sins, proud of what they should be ashamed of. Mm, Ever heard of a pride parade? Well, and also in the Old Testament, what is it? It talks about God's people could no longer blush. Mm. There are passages like that. That's a dangerous place to be where um, you boast in. You boast in shameful things. Yeah, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it used to be, even in this culture, even in this society, it used to be that people were aware of that. That is, you didn't go around boasting about your laziness <laughs> or your 
sexual recklessness. You yeah. don't go around publicizing that. Right. But boy, how many Hollywood movies are all about glorifying things that there's nothing good about that? Why are we glorifying uh-huh. that? That that is, that is something that you should be ashamed of. And often it's like, oh, but look at the context. So it's almost like a selling point. Like, look at the context where the shame happens. Are you not on the side of those who are being reckless? That kind of thing. And now markets even shout your abortion. Talk about glorying in your shame. Now, there's going to be a cost to that. That does some, That obviously does something to, to a person. Unless you kill every moral fiber in your being, I think that comes back, and that's going to affect you mentally, emotionally, oh, yeah. and et cetera. Yep. Part of them will forever be arguing with them and saying, yeah. this, is, this is, you're lying, you're lying. Yeah, part of your human nature. Your, your nature knows what gender you are down to the very cell. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, then it's a little bit more subtle on this phrase, who set their minds on earthly things. Right. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with like, I got to go to work. I need to put gas in the car. Those are all earthly things. But I think the key is Colossians 3 talks about set your mind on things above. Mm -hmm. So if we break this verse down, we have instant gratification. God is their appetite. Yeah. And then we have arrogance, right? Okay. Right. We got we have arrogance. And then we have no long-term thinking. Would that be the best way? Here and now, no long-term thinking. Here are people that purposely do not factor in any reality higher than earthly things. Yeah, and it's as if God did not exist or had never spoken. A good example of this in the, the COVID situation would be a lot of times what you heard was, we'll get through this, we'll get through this. But I typically never heard mankind is resilient but some of you may die so you might think about getting your life right with god yeah but when when something is simply like we will get through this we will get on the other side of this with no reference to okay but what about eternity what if we don't that's a mindset on earthly things mm-hmm. then it says in verse 24 our citizenship is in heaven well, I guess that would be one reason that we don't have a mindset on earthly things, is that right. even though even though we are earthly citizens and we're expected, biblically, we're expected to be good earthly citizens, to obey the government, to pay our taxes, Romans 13 would be one example. But our ultimate overriding citizenship is one of the heavenly countries. So that's why you don't set your mind on earthly things for one reason. Yeah. You know, Mark, as we've traveled, we've met a lot of people that are instrumental uh, in poli- in the world of politics and are standing up for legislation that reflects uh, the values that God speaks about and that make us better able to live lives of peace. But, so I'm thankful for everybody involved, every Christian that's involved in politics on a higher level, but... For the rest of us, besides showing up <laughs> and voting, being counted. And praying for your and leaders. praying for your leaders and standing up verbally from time to time. To an extent, we need to not get wrapped up in the drama of politics. If I, was, if I went to France and France was having an election and I was just there temporarily that my citizenship is in America, how wrapped up would I get into the dramas of who's going to win that election? You know what I'm saying? We have such a limited amount of bandwidth that if we fix our eyes on Jesus and put the lion's share of our 
mental efforts towards that, everything else will fall into place. And I think also, if you fix your eyes on Jesus and you know your Bible, then of all the various, what we would say, political issues out there, uh-huh. of all the various oh, things that the Supreme Court deals with or legislation, etc., if you fix your eyes on Jesus, then automatically you will know what piece of legislation, etc., should demand your attention. Right, right. And what really doesn't matter. Yep. Save yourself unnecessary stress and hassle, but do what you can do. Now, since it says we're, our citizenship is in heaven, it does not mean we have a vote <laughs> Right. <laughs> about like heaven and God and etc. So we need to remember that we're not under a democracy as far as our relationship with God. It's a theocracy. Absolutely. As it should be. Thank heaven. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Then it says, though, from which, that is, from heaven, we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a number of passages in the Bible that speak of the Christian's eager anticipation of the final day. I find that easier and easier the older I get. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm saying that a lot more than I used to. That's true. And that brings up, I think, an interesting question of you do have earthly obligations and you have a marriage or maybe people right now, they're in the midst of parenting and their kids are still at home or they're just starting out. And I can see where a person might say, I am looking forward to Jesus, but there are a few things I would like to could, could we say finish first? I, Absolutely. I certainly understand people that say I would like to live long enough to see my grandchildren or right. maybe the overriding anticipation is for Jesus to show up. And it's an intelligent waiting because the Christian who is eagerly awaiting Jesus to show up realizes that when Jesus shows up, that ends all opportunity for the lost mm, to be saved. Right. So it is an intelligent waiting. Right, and so verse 21 goes on to say, who will transform the body of our humble estate. And that's the body we have right now. And Mark, that state gets more and more humble every day. (laughs) For those of us who are past our prime, wow, so humble. I don't think you're past your prime. (laughs) Okay, so he will transform the body of our humble state. I may have said a state last time. It's state into conformity with the body of his glory. What is going on there? Well, I think what that means is that when Jesus shows up, now when Jesus shows up, all the dead are raised. That's on the last day. And John 5, 28 and 29 make that very clear. That is the last day. First Corinthians chapter 15 makes that clear. First Thessalonians chapter 4, a book that we'll study, makes that clear as well. Now, First Thessalonians 4 also indicates that there will be Christians on the earth when Jesus shows up. So when Jesus shows up, All the dead will be raised, but at the same instant, all the living will be instantly transformed. And so the physical body that we're in will be instantly transformed into what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 would call like a body that is no longer mortal. It's a body that can't die. It really looks like it's since flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that is the eternal kingdom, that the new body is not going to be composed of any physical elements, mm-hmm. but it's still a body. Right. It's such a delightful mystery. I mean, I can't wait for that to be revealed after this life. And it's, so many people have questions about it, like, what is this going to be like? So there's a few clues around this mystery that are penned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 44. So I'm going to run through that. Okay. 
All right, so so it says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed as he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor honor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body, unquote. Yeah, that's a great section because Paul really answers a number of objections that people had raised to the resurrection. First of all, the resurrection is not the night of a living dead where these half-decomposed corpses come out of the ground. It's like when you plant corn, you're not planting a stock of corn in the ground, you guys. You're, You're planting a seed. And what comes from that seed in no way resembles the kernel. Right. And and not only that, but it's like, is it the sequoia or the redwood that their seed is like the size of a a piece of oatmeal or a cornflake? It's not a cornflake. It's some little, something small. Right. And yet this majestic tree comes from that little flake. Yes. And so that's the first thing you know. He says, you even understand this on an earthly level. Yeah, I gave you an example. (laughs) Is that what goes into the ground is... Is so different than what comes out. What comes out is so like more you're go- grand. Well, you're going like, how did that come from that? Yeah, can't even believe it. Uh, and the other thing I think would be is that God is not at a loss for creating bodies for specific environments. Mm, mm-hmm. The birds, the birds need a certain type of body. The fish need a certain type of body. Not only that, but the sun has a certain sort of existence. But stars also, and they differ from one another. So God is incredibly creative. And if God can create, you might say, bodies, what we would call bodies or uh, forms of being Mm -hmm. exist for all these different formats, he's not going to have any problem resurrecting your body Mm -hmm. and, and it being constituted in such a way First of all, that it's not a hindrance in heaven. <laughs> you know, right. Uh, that is, it's a body that you'll you'll be able to stand in the presence of God and not burn up. Right. And also, it will be fit for heaven. Exactly. And then it goes on to say, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So this coming transformation He's able to do that because this is kind of a small part, really. This is, he is going to bring everything in subjection to him. Mm. And so God created the universe out of entirely nothing. So this idea that he's going to take our bodies and transform them instantly and that we will have bodies that that resemble Jesus's body now. Now, Mm -hmm. Obviously, we're not going to be God, but the body that he has, that it will be kind of in the same category a body perfectly fitted to be in the presence of God and for the soul to live in forever, the spirit to live in forever. I mean, um, hey, 
The same power, the same power that's going to be able to do that is the power that he will use to bring all things into subjection to him. Mm-hmm. And that he will use to raise us on that last day with our new spiritual body. I love, I, going back to, I, I love when he talks about our physical body as being, it's a humble state. Amen, sir. So don't worship the body. Mm. Um, just kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. Don't lose your eternal reward over physical bodies. There you go. All right. Well, I couldn't think of a more awkward way to end a podcast. So as we end this podcast, I think it's just, you've got two paths in life. You might say you got two patterns to follow. Yep. I think, Cindy, that if we go back to the beginning of Christianity, which I think this would take us back to, even though we could go back to the two patterns of the narrow way, the broad way, all, all the way to Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve. There's been enough time on the earth for us to, I think, objectively sit back and judge which of these two patterns is the uh, is the true way to live, mm-hmm. which is the better way to live. I don't, I don't think you have to guess on that way like, hey, I got the Christian life, I got the non-Christian life, which pattern do I follow? I think there's been enough human practice absolutely, <laughs> on that that we can say, okay, I don't think anyone looks at, you know, I think I'm going to follow the path of no long-term thinking and here and now thinking and instant gratification and follow my desires because that's going to lead to a better overall organized life. I don't think anyone says that. I think they say, I want to do what I want to do. And really, I'm not going to think about the consequences. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We have completed Philippians chapter three, and we'll see you in the next podcast, beginning Philippians chapter four.